Titus chapter 3, and our text today is verses 1 through 7. The Word of God says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray. It is an amazing reality. It is the most amazing reality in the universe. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh Lord, we come to you this morning humbled by that reality, encouraged, edified, but humbled. You loved us when we were not lovely. You gave your life for us. You sent the Son to die on the cross for us so that we might stand before you redeemed, reconciled to you, justified by your grace. And forever changed. Father, I pray nothing less than those truths would land in our hearts this morning like thunder. And we would leave this place rejoicing in the amazing grace of Christ. Amazing grace of you in Christ. And resolved to live with all of our might for you. Help us, we pray this morning. Help me in my weakness to proclaim your truth. May your spirit move powerfully among us. In Jesus' name, amen. I am a very forgetful person, and I have been for as long as I can remember. And I know there's some irony in that statement, but it's true. I need pretty constant reminders to help me overcome a bit of scattered brainness, brain, brainedness in me, even in my 20s. So it's not just age-related, probably a little bit of that, but even in my 20s, I had to figure out workarounds because of this reality. I worked in an office in Florida for five years, and just down the hall, a little corridor, took two minutes to walk down there was the secretary, the office of the secretary there, and I would often have to pop down to her office to ask her to help with something or how to do something or whatever, and she noticed a trend with me right away. I would walk down there fully armed to talk to her about something important, and by the time I got there, I'd forget what I was there to say. I'd stand there blank-faced trying to remember why I had walked down to her office. And so she figured out a way. We had this little office messaging thing. And she says, why don't you just message me why you're coming and then come? And then I'll know. And I'll remind you. And then you can tell me what you want. It was about that time that I decided that I need reminders often in life. 
I, I make it through my weeks with dozens and dozens of reminders. If you and I are scheduled for a meeting this week, chances are there are several reminders that are going to go off on my phone so that I'll be there when you come or wherever we meet. Where was I going with this? <laughs> we need reminders, and you know why? You know why we need reminders? Reminders cause us to live differently. If you forget something vital or if you're not mindful of it, you will live as if it's not on your mind. You will not bring your wife flowers on your anniversary. You will not turn that homework assignment in on time. You will not call that person back. You will not take that important medicine dosage that day. You will not say happy birthday to that coworker of yours. If you forget something, it changes the way that you live. And in more significant things, that's true as well. Right at the heart of our text. If you are not mindful of God's grace in your life, if you forget God's grace in your life, you will live as if you have not been shown grace. We need reminders. The Bible is full of reminders. We, we take Lord's Supper every, every month. Next week, we're going to do that. And you know what that's about? That's about reminding us. We even say it. It's even, it's even in the words when Jesus gave us that ordinance. Do this in remembrance of me. We need reminders. Our text today is full of reminders. In fact, it actually begins with the word remind, doesn't it? Remind them, Titus. I think there are at least five reminders in this passage. Five reminders that together serve to remind us of the miracle that God has worked for us and in us. And what that should look like in our lives every day as we live it out. And I think it would be helpful by way of reminder for us to walk through those five reminders. Paul begins verses 1 and 2 with the practical Christian living side of things. That is how we are to live in light of the miracle of God's grace in us. And then he goes right to that miracle in verses 3 through 7. The grace of God which has come to sinners. Verses 3 through 7 serve as the grounds or the basis of verses 1 and 2. And I thought it might be helpful for us to begin with the reminders about the grounds of grace and then move back to the practical reminders. So we're going to begin with verse 3 and then come back to verses 1 and 2 near the end. Brothers and sisters, let's take this time this morning from Titus 3, 1 through 7 to be reminded we are forgetful people. We forget our own sinful past. We forget God's amazing grace to us in Jesus. And we forget to live in light of that grace. So take a look with me at verse 3. In that verse, Paul reminds Christians of who we once were. That is the first reminder we're taking up this morning. What we ourselves once were. And in that, there are seven parts to that reminder. In verse 3, we were foolish. We were disobedient to God, to our parents, to any authority over us. We were led astray. We were deceived. We were slaves to our various passions and pleasures. We were living for envy and malice. We were hated by others, and we were hating others. Not a pretty picture, right? Not a pretty picture. And I know that you might hear that with varying levels of identification, some of you really identify with some or all of that. Maybe it wasn't that long ago that you remember living like that. Some of you never remember being like that. You don't remember those things at all. Perhaps you were saved very young. 
But the reality is that this is who we all once were, even if we didn't have the time yet or the inclination to fully express those things. I don't remember who said this, but a man once began his testimony by saying, I was saved from a horrible life of depravity and drug and alcohol abuse and deep and dark sin at the age of five. That is, he hadn't had time or life experience to see those terrible things manifested in his life because before he could do those things, God graciously intervened and saved him. You see, this is what fallen man looks like. This is who we all once were outside of Christ. Even if we lived that out in varying degrees. Whether the tree of your sin was just a sapling, just poking up and starting to produce leaves, or a full-grown oak tree, it was still the same kind of tree. And this is what that tree generally looks like. Living for self, slaves to our own passions, foolish, disobedient. This part of the reminder serves Paul's argument in two ways. First, it helps us to be compassionate and merciful to others. And we'll come back to this point before we're done this morning. Understanding our past is helpful as we see others around us in need of God's grace and mercy. We've been shown mercy, and those who show mer- have been shown mercy show mercy. As I said, we'll come back to that point in a few moments. The, the second thing that it does is to help us to humbly appreciate God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. When we get who we once were, when we grasp the full reality of our lostness, our pride is shattered and we humbly wonder, why? Why me, Lord? I am so undeserving and yet you are so gracious and merciful to me. Paul reminds us of what we once were and that humbles us and helps us to appreciate what comes next. So that's reminder number one. Remember what you once were. The second reminder is that God's grace has appeared. Look again with me at verse 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. When did, when did the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appear? You, you can see the answer at the end of verse 6. Whom He, God our Savior, poured out on us richly, Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The grace of God, our Savior, appeared when Jesus Christ, our Savior, appeared. And that, as Galatians 4 says, was at the fullness of time. So let me just read to you Galatians 4, 4 through 5. It says, when the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. The grace of God our Savior appeared when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us. This points to the advent of our Lord, the birth of Jesus Christ, when the loving kindness and the goodness of God our Savior appeared in a baby in Bethlehem, born in Bethlehem, who would go on to live a sinless life. Jesus was never foolish, He was never disobedient. He was never led astray. He was never slaves to his own passions. He was never, he never hated. And in, and in 
that grace and loving kindness of God, he stood in our place and he bore those sins of ours. Jesus was crucified because we were foolish. He was crucified because we were disobedient, because we were led astray, because we were living our lives for malice. Jesus took our sin and he paid for it before a holy God. He, he died for us. He rose again, overcoming death for us. That is what it means in verse 4, that the goodness and the loving kindness of God appeared. He saved us. It is the gospel. So, we, so reminder number one is that we, what, we were, what we ourselves once were. Reminder number two, the grace of God has appeared. And then reminder number three, we were saved by grace alone. I am sure that you're aware of this. You're probably thinking about this already, planning and preparing. It's probably on your mind a lot this weekend. But this coming Tuesday is a very important holiday. I know it's controversial, but I'm personally very much excited, looking forward to celebrating this great holiday on Tuesday. I might even dress up like a monk and walk around with a mallet in my hand. You know why? Because Tuesday is Reformation Day, one of my favorite holidays. You, you look surprised. You were thinking of some other day. It's a great holiday because it reminds us of when the church regained the wonderful doctrine of sola gratia, or that salvation is by grace alone. Apart from works. And isn't that doctrine so very clear in this passage? Verse 7 says it plainly. We are justified by grace. And verse 5 says, He saved us not because of works done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. So you should rejoice this Tuesday. God, by His grace, through men like Martin Luther and John Calvin and many others, steered the church away from mixing of works and grace to seeing justification as the work that God does by His grace alone, apart from works. Grace and mercy, they are two sides of one coin. A common way that people have explained the differences between the two, grace and mercy, is one is not giving a person what he deserves, and the other is giving a person what he does not deserve. Mercy is the king saying to a guilty, convicted criminal, I will not give you what you deserve. I will show you mercy. And God, God has shown incredible mercy to us in Jesus. We clearly deserve death and judgment and hell. We deserve hell. But God is merciful. And in Christ, God does not give us what we deserve. Grace is the king saying, I will give you what you do not deserve. Come and live in my home. Instead of what we deserve, God gives us what we do not deserve, namely salvation, a restored relationship and fellowship with God. He has given us a new status as adopted children of God. He has made us heirs. We have an inheritance waiting for us. How incredible is all of this? God in Christ has not given us what we deserve. And God in Christ has given us what we do not deserve. He has saved us. Be reminded of these things this morning, friends. Be reminded. This is all not because of works done by us in righteousness, as it says in verse 5. 
It's amazing to me that Paul highlights this truth here in a letter emphasizing good works. You know, Titus is about good works. It talks a lot about good works. And in this paragraph, actually, a paragraph emphasizing good works, just go back and look at verses 1 and 2, ready for every good work. Paul makes it crystal clear that our salvation is apart from good works. It's not, as some would have it, some good works mixed with some grace. Good deeds and merit cooperating with God's grace. Friends, if some work is required, then the condition is the work. If there is some merit required on our part, then it is not of grace. If I offer to give you a car freely, just give you my car, and then I let you know after you accepted that car that you actually owe me $500 for that car, it would obviously not be free. Even if the car was worth $10,000 and you only had to pay $500, it's still not free. The condition is still $500. Not only the grace of the one giving it away. When you pay that $500, you are not going to extol the grace of the one who sold you that car. You are just going to be excited that you got it so cheaply. So it is with salvation. If it is God's grace plus works, then it is little more than getting salvation at a very low price. But you are still paying, and friends, it would still depend on you. It is not finished until you pay your part. My friend, who recently became the lead pastor of the church that I I, I used to pastor, the one I just left to come here, was asked during his candidating weekend to give one word that describes the gospel. Think of it. One word. What's one word that fittingly describes the gospel? I mean, there's lots of words, right? We would think of free. We would think of grace. We would think of words like sufficient. There are many words. But I loved his answer. His one word that describes the gospel? Finished. Is that not what Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. We do not add to the work of Christ. It is finished. Our salvation is apart from works. He did all of the work. We are ready for every good work because he has finished the work. It is all because of God's grace. Works result from grace. They do not in any way merit it. The next reminder, reminder number four, is that you have been born again. Look at the end of verse five. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration means that you have new life. You must be born again by the Spirit, Jesus told the Pharisee Nicodemus when he came to him by night in John Three, And we, if we are in Christ, we are born again. We have been regenerate. The, the old man is dead. We have been made clean by the washing of regeneration. God, God's grace does not simply improve us. It does not make sinful people less sinful. The gospel makes dead people alive. The gospel brings new life by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Be reminded of this glorious reality this morning, friends. 
You are not who you once were. If you are in Christ, you've been born again. And that leads us to our fifth reminder. So just to recap, reminder number one, you were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to sin, living for malice, full of hatred. Reminder number two, the goodness and loving kindness of God has appeared just when we needed that goodness most. Reminder number three, we are saved by grace apart from works. Reminder number four, we have been born again, saved by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Reminder number five is that we must live in light of those truths. We must live like newly born people, forgiven and shown mercy. This is where Paul begins. Remind them, Titus, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy to all people. How does all this work? How, does, how do these two fit together? How do the reminders, the, these reminders number one through four, help us with reminder number five? How does God's grace to us in Christ serve as a basis or grounds for the commands we see in verses one and two? And we know it does that because the beginning of verse three says, for the, the, the grounds. So how does it do so? How, how, how does it serve as the grounds? It does so in two ways. First, those reminders help us to keep a posture of humility and an inclination to show grace to others. And second, these reminders help us that we are new people and we can't live the way we used to live. Let me just show you what I mean. First, these reminders help us to keep a posture of humility and give us the inclination to show grace to others. Imagine, just imagine that you're a Christian and the society in which you live is decidedly not. It's not that hard to imagine that, is it? Imagine that you live in a country ruled by people who do not love Jesus, do not love the Bible, do not love its values, do not regard Christians or Christian principles. It'd be easy, it could be easy, to take on a, re a righteous smug. You could look down on your neighbors, you could look down on your civil leaders with disdain. Look at them, lovers of darkness, evil, loving what is evil, a bunch of sinners. It was much worse on the island of Crete in Titus's day than it is in America in ours. But when we consider our rapidly de-Christianizing society, it's still apples to apples. We can relate. So Paul reminds them and reminds us, remember who you were once. Remember what God has done. Remember that you didn't deserve it, but that God is merciful and he is kind. Remember that you, by God's grace, have been made new. Doesn't that completely and radically change the way we see our unbelieving neighbors and even our unbelieving society? I don't ride my high horse looking down on all those sinners. I don't pray, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Story from the Gospels. 
Not if I have experienced God's grace. His grace makes me humble and inclines me to show others mercy as I have been shown mercy. One of my favorite parables is in Matthew 18. It's Jesus telling of a parable of a man. We call it the unforgiving servant. You might recall it. It's one of the best-known parables of Jesus. A master comes to settle his accounts, calls his debtors, his servants in, and there's this one servant who owes him 10,000 talents, and you should Google that. If you did, it would reveal that that's somewhere in the neighborhood of $250 million, some ridiculous amount of money he owed to his master. No way he could pay it back, even though he said, I'm going to pay you. The master says, oh, I guess it's off to, off to debtor prison with you. You've got to pay this debt off. But the servant pleaded for mercy. And you know what the master did? He, he just forgave it all. And you know when you forgive something, you absorb it, right? He just absorbed it all in himself. All that debt, gone. The man walked away free. The master showed him mercy. But then that same servant went and found a guy who owed him 100 denarii, 100 days wages, which, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 grand. And that's a significant sum of money for sure, but nothing compared with the $250 million that he had been forgiven. And he grabs this guy by the scruff of the neck, and he says, you're going to pay me every dime, and showed him no mercy. And that story is shocking to us. It's meant to be shocking. It's meant we're supposed to feel the repugnance of it. Because the posture of this unforgiving servant is not right. It's repugnant. And this story is shocking because we know, we have the sense in us that one who has shown mercy is one who shows mercy. Mercy begets mercy. Grace begets grace. So when Paul says in verse 3, for we ourselves were We understand where he's going. We've been shown mercy and grace, and that is the sole reason we have new life today. Therefore, we do not look around at our world with some smug condescension. It's not our posture. It's not our posture. We are humble. God has been gracious to us, and so we will be gracious to others. That's the first way the gospel serves as a grounds for the commands in verse 1. The second way is the very nature of the work of God's grace in us. He has made us new. How can we live like the old us? How can we live like we once did? How can we spend our days living for malice when we have been made new? We no longer live for malice. We no longer hate. We no longer live as slaves to our various passions. That's the old us. And God has made us new in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul makes much the same point, putting it this way. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, we are no longer, we no longer live like that old man. Instead, we speak evil of no one. Doesn't mean we don't call a spade, a spade, it means that we don't gossip and we don't slander. We are willing to be submissive to our government as it is appropriate to be submissive. We are not contentious. We are gentle. We show perfect courtesy to all. We are different because we are new. 
The old has passed away. We have, we have to live like we are made new by the grace of God in Christ. We have to live like it. We have to live like the Holy Spirit has been richly poured out onto us by Christ. You see? So friends, by way of reminder, I want to remind you of what God has done in your life. I want to remind you of who you once were. And I want to remind you of God's grace apart from any merit of your own. I want to remind you that you have been saved and restored and made new by the most wonderful miracle in the universe. The appearing of the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior in Christ. I want to remind you so that you do not forget or live as if you have forgotten I've quoted John Newton already in this sermon series, but he's one of my go-tos. I really like him, and so I, I'm going to go to him again this morning. In his autobiography, which Newton wrote when he was an old man, Newton said this, Although my memory is fading, I remember, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Forget lots of stuff, friends. It's fine. I do it all the time. I don't even remember all the stuff I have forgotten. But I want to remember this. And I want you to remember this so that you might not forget you are a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. And that has massive implications for the way that we live our lives. Do we live, do you live in light of that reality, the reality of the gospel? Or have you forgotten? Do you live and interact with people at work? Or your neighbors? Or those you see on the playground at school? Like you are a great sinner saved by the wonderful grace of God in Christ. Or have you forgotten? Maybe it would be good for us to take some time this afternoon, just by way of application. Maybe it would be helpful if we took some time this afternoon, just walk through this slowly in our quiet time before God, pondering verses 1 and 2 all alone. Identify the ways we need to grow in this and then look to the gospel as the grounds and the means of change. Let's be reminded, friends, may the Lord help me. This is my prayer for you and for me this morning. May the Lord help us to remember to live in light of His grace and in light of the miracle of new birth. May He train our mouths to be fountains of grace and kindness and mercy, not of malice and hate and envy and slander. And may He remind us, you and me, all of us together, to be ready for every good work. Let's pray. We stand in awe of your grace and your mercy and your love for us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope of the cross. Thank you that I, though I have offended you in many ways, stand before you today righteous. Not in my own righteousness, not even a little bit, but in the righteousness of Christ. I pray that that would be our hope this morning and that that would be grounds and means for radical Christian living among us as a body of Christ in this world. May Sioux Falls see the difference in us and give glory to our Father. 
In Jesus' name, amen.